Yo, yo, yo. How's it going? My name is Corbin Ford. You can follow me at Corbin NBA on Twitter. Let me tell you, I love the National Basketball Association, everything about it. And NBA Today gives me the opportunity to talk about it with y'all. The ins, the outs, NBA from all angles, from current hot topics to flashbacks in the NBA's past to literally everything in between. And yes, that includes NBA Twitter. NBA Today is the show for the hoop junkies on hoop ball. Check it out. NBA Today with Corbin Ford. I look forward to talking with y'all real soon. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. It's Thursday, September the 17th. We roll along. The conference finals are officially now in swing because we will have a game every day, one game every day from now until one of these series is over. At a first glance, you'd assume the Eastern Conference would end sooner given they will have played two games before the Lakers and Nuggets even play one. But you never know, because Miami-Boston has all the look of a seven-game series after just one night. I think we can make a a bold claim like that based on what we saw in game one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, an overtime game when two teams are sort of feeling each other out is a pretty good indicator that things are likely to be relatively tight, especially when you consider that the teams left in the playoffs right now you might argue are four of the best coach teams in the NBA. I would throw Nick Nurse in there as well. But Brad Stevens in Boston, brilliant. Eric Spolstra in Miami, brilliant. Michael Malone has shown himself to be, uh, if not the greatest X's and O's coach, just a stellar communicator. I know that there's a lot of folks in King's country that are wishing that he was still the, the Sacramento head coach some number of years later. And then... I got to give giant credit to Frank Vogel, who came into L.A. as everybody's kind of third choice. You know, Ty Lue didn't want the job, and Monty Williams took the job in Phoenix, and everybody in L.A. was like, ah, here we go again. And then the Lakers, they actually ended up kind of pulling the plug on the Ty Lue talks and went the Vogel direction. And at the time, I think a lot of us were, were kind of thinking, what are we doing here? Like, this is... Vogel was a guy that had shown himself to be kind of an old-school coach in a new-school NBA, and it wasn't working in Orlando in particular. As the NBA was changing, he was sort of stuck in the past. But, you know, he spent a year, his sabbatical year, if you want to call it that, working with different coaches and kind of studying the way the NBA was moving. And and the Lakers, I don't want to say took a chance on him because he was already a two-time head coach, but I think it was one of those situations where it was kind of like, look, we believe you when you say that you have retooled your game. And he's come in and he's been a, a wonderful head coach for the Lakers. He and his, his staff have come up with great uh, schemes. And obviously, having LeBron on your team makes offense a lot easier. But you know, the Lakers had one of the best defenses in the NBA. And I wouldn't say that he's necessarily the best coach in the league. Far from that. But simply put... I mean, you're looking at four very well-coached teams right now where, you know, I don't know that anybody has looked at these teams and thought, here's a weakness and pointed to either the head coach or the coaching staff on either side. 
Thinking about some of the other teams that got eliminated in the playoffs, I already mentioned the Raptors as an extraordinarily well-coached team. Nick Nurse has, has shown himself to be just stellar uh, with adjustments, with defense, with getting the most out of his guys. I honestly thought the Pacers were pretty well-coached, but they didn't, so it doesn't really matter what I thought. And then over in the Western Conference, teams that have been eliminated so far, um, you know, I feel like I feel like uh, Quinn Snyder maybe gets more credit than he deserves in Utah. I could be wrong about that. I'm not as, as super high on him. And then I think Rick Carlisle is a great head coach, and he... He consistently maximizes what he has. And if Dallas is healthy all year, they're probably a four or five seed in the Western Conference. And if they stay healthy in the playoffs, they could have very well knocked out the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers didn't turn out to be at all the team we thought they were. I almost feel like I owe you guys an apology. I'm not going to actually do it. Uh, But just thinking back to yesterday's show, I went pretty nuts in my disgust for Paul George. And I I don't know what it is about that guy that just sets me off. It's it's to me I think it's the total lack of feel. It's the total lack of feel. I I I just see the way he operates in his professional life. I don't know what I don't know what else he I, you know, I don't know anything about his personal life. Um uh, but professionally, he seems like a royal pain in the neck. You know, are you guys, am I, I can't possibly be alone in this. Like, the, asking out of two teams, just bounce, like, you can't, cont- I get it. I don't want you guys to think that I am anti-player empowerment, because it's not that at all. I love that these players change teams. I like that the NBA has has put in place some protections for the team, uh, for the team that has the player, meaning a lot of times it's a small market team that can then offer a super max that other teams can't. They have this opportunity to give the player a little bit more money, but ultimately most of these guys want to go to a place where they can win. So fine, you know, someone like Kawhi Leonard, he was well within his right to not go back to Toronto. I don't think it was the right move professionally, and now we're kind of seeing that. Toronto had the better supporting cast, I think you could argue, than the Clippers, or at least had the better maybe on-court leadership. But that's fine. Like, that was that whole situation was entertaining. Kawhi being tracked, his Toronto Jet being tracked by them. That, all that stuff was amazing. Seeing one man, due to his ability to put a ball in a hole, have that type of grip on the whole country, the world, was amazing. I loved it. He never, I mean, he didn't, he didn't ask for anything during that free agency period. He went about his business. He built his his super team in secret. All that's great. LeBron going from place to place, it's fine. I mean, obviously, how he went to Miami the first time was idiotic, but it's all fine. Like, you don't, no one has to stay anywhere. You can build your super teams. Do what you need to do. But, and I'll even forgive guys for asking off a team if they've tried to make it work. You know, it wasn't like Kawhi was in San Antonio for a couple of failed seasons and then asked out. He won a championship there. He felt like they mistreated him based on his degenerative quad disorder and asked out. Anthony Davis was in New Orleans for a half decade, and they just never got good around him. He wanted more. They didn't deliver it. Paul George, even in his first situation in Indiana, 
I didn't really know what was going on, but the stories have leaked out over the last few years that the Pacers weren't willing to to spend into the luxury tax to bring in some of the best power forwards in the NBA that he wanted at the time, guys to really kind of, he felt, put them over the hump. So he asked out. He says, send me to a place that's going to spend the money and going to try to win a championship. They sent him to Oklahoma City. OKC traded for him and literally spent every cent in the universe. OKC had the highest payroll in there. They were deeper into the luxury tax than the Warriors for parts of this recent stretch. They gave Steven Adams more money than the world could ever dream of. They gave Westbrook uh, more money than the world could dream They gave Paul George more money than anyone could ever dream of. They were just pouring money into their star and star-adjacent players. So it wasn't like they weren't trying. When Westbrook went to... Or uh, Paul George went to Westbrook's Nas party on, on free agency day. And, you know, they're running it back. They got unfinished business and then out again. And if that wasn't enough to irk me, well, then all of his, his chatter after that last ball game was just ridiculous. Anyway, uh, apologies for spending like 15 minutes on that yesterday. It was unnecessary. And now I've spent another two or three minutes on it today. So we'll move on. And I say to you this, uh, welcome to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today, Hold the Fantasy, a hoop ball presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website. Great stuff, as always, dropping at hoop ball. Mike Apatria, Aaron Asmus have your DFS breakdowns. They've got the podcast called DFS Today. Check that out. That's an opportunity to play some fantasy sports right now and win money. Aaron, of course, also with the DFS delivery. That's the written breakdown of the night's card. And it's free right now during the playoffs. That's actually part of our premium package normally, so during the regular season, you wouldn't get that uh, without signing up for our premium deal, but it's free right now if you want to check it out. Maybe an opportunity to see what you could get with the premium deal next year. Also, on the team feed side, Damian Barling and Jill Adge putting together a brilliant episode uh, of the Hoop Ball Kings podcast. The Kings bringing in Monty McNair as their new general manager, and they do a, a far better job breaking that down than I could ever do on this show, so please do check that out. And our good buddies over at the Hoopball Grizzlies contingent, uh, David Williams and Sammy Bruski, no relation to our founder Aaron, have a recent episode on Brandon Clark and John Morant making all-rookie first-team draft prospects and a bunch of extras. Always things happening here at Hoopball. We actually have another show that's going to be dropping uh, later on today, so I don't want to give that away on the podcast, but I'll make sure that we hype the crap out of it on Twitter. You can follow Hoopball on Twitter at HoopballFantasy or at HoopballTweets. I am at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Tonight, we can dive back into betting, which is always fun. Miami and Boston. Celtics, two and a half point favorites, total of 209 and a half. The oddsmakers have decided they had it just right on game number one. Boston was a two-point favorite before game one, so a half-point adjustment there. The total was 209 on game one, they made a half-point adjustment there. In fact, when we talked about this game two days ago, the total was lower. So it's been on the rise since Tuesday, and that's just fine by us. Because, as we know, these series tend to grind a little bit as they move along. So let's quickly go over what we're looking at here. For one, I liked Miami in game one as the underdog and the teams kind of feeling each other out because to me, it seemed like they had a better initial attack, which was force Boston out of the paint. 
make these guys. That's been the Miami move through the playoffs so far is force teams into as many jump shots as humanly possible. The ability to keep guys from getting past them on defense has been critical. Bam Adebayo at the center of that. When a center switches onto a little guy and the little guy tries to beat him and Bam says, nope, the defense doesn't break down. And so Heat opponents are taking jumpers. Now, admittedly, they'll give some room on those jumpers. That's you kind of that's the poison. If you're going to block off the world's easiest shots, you have to give up a little bit more space on some farther shots. And so we saw it in game one. Boston had 15 three-pointers. Tatum had four. Marcus Smart had six. Jalen Brown hit three three-pointers in that game. Kemba could not get it going again. But also, on the flip side, there just weren't that many simple looks at the rim for Boston in game one. Miami kind of overcame the fact that Boston was shooting the lights out from three-point land in the first and third quarters and then uh, ended up beating them in overtime. But by all accounts, that game was a coin flip. So you go into game two, and the thought is, okay, well, what team makes an adjustment here? And my thought is, looking at the way game one went, I think Boston has an opportunity to make an adjustment, specifically on defense, because they gave up 47% shooting to the Heat, including five three-pointers to Jay Crowder, many of them unguarded. Goran Dragic had 29, and as great as he's been in the playoffs, this was actually even better than that. Jimmy Butler was fine. I think, you know, he's a guy that can replicate that, although, again, the the multiple three-pointers are a little bit weird for him. Uh, Bam, they don't have a huge answer for. Duncan Robinson, they got into foul trouble, so he could be better the next time around, but that, you know, that would just be a little bit less Tyler Hero, a little bit less uh, probably... Uh, maybe a little less Crowder, I I would imagine. But, you know, it doesn't change the makeup of what Miami's doing all that much. So I actually like Boston in this ballgame. If we're going to look at a side, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of like, all right, well, the neutral site, it it doesn't have that same impact where you figure, all right, Boston can maybe ride a wave of some kind here. But I do think that from a game plan standpoint, Boston now has the opportunity to do a little bit more work. Remember, Boston uh, played seven games with Toronto. They didn't really have time to get themselves ready for Miami. The Heat spent a week watching the Raptors and the Celtics and figuring out what those teams were doing against one another and, frankly, what was working, and then were an opportunity to try to replicate that. Boston never really saw anyone figure out the right thing to do with Miami. So that was their opportunity in Game 1. Now they've got the film. They've seen what the Heat are trying to do. I think Boston makes an adjustment here on defense, and I think that also points us towards the under a little bit, which I realize is maybe doesn't make the most sense given the actual results of Game 1 in this series. But hear me out on this. For one, you had an extraordinarily high-scoring fourth quarter, which is generally not the case in these types of playoff games. Remember, this game ended at 231 points. They scored 19 in overtime. So it did go over by one possession in regulation. It was that close to being on the mark. So the total was actually pretty damn close also. Uh, The second quarter was ridiculously high scoring. The teams combined for 66 points in the second quarter, 44 in the first, 44 in the third, and 58 in the fourth quarter. There just aren't going to be quarters quite like that as this series progresses. 
That's not a guarantee that that's going to be the case here in Game 2. So let's go back to Game 1, and let's look at what should have happened in this ballgame. Very important point. Miami finished at 117 points. They did it by taking extraordinary care of the basketball. Only 12 turnovers in an overtime game and hit 16 three-pointers in that one. So by all accounts, they overachieved. Shot 47% with a lot of those shots, again, coming from downtown. Took 28 free throws, which was relatively high, but not insane. They didn't make a ton of them, but uh, you know, Adebayo is not a great foul shooter. Crowder's not a great foul shooter. Dragic hit his four, interestingly, in this one, but he's actually not that great from the free throw line. It's generally, they lean on Jimmy Butler to uh, buttress their free throw percent, but they're not one of the best foul shooting teams in the NBA, not by, not by quite a bit. Uh, Boston, on the other hand, is, but we'll get to them in a minute here. So if we just do our sort of remedial analysis on this thing, Miami probably should have been more around 111 for this ball game, and they overachieved by about two to three possessions because of, again, taking good care of the basketball and making some extra three-pointers. So about six points over on the Miami side. On the Boston side, they didn't shoot the ball all that well at just 44%, but they also hit a bunch of threes. They had 15 of them, made 91% of their 23 free throws, so they capitalized when they got to the foul line and only had 10 turnovers in an overtime game. So by all accounts, Boston also overachieved a little bit. They ended up at 114. They didn't overachieve by quite as much because they didn't shoot the ball as well uh, as the Heat did. I mean, you know, you're talking about if Boston hits one or two additional shots, not only do they win the ball game, but they also go, they they way overachieve their mark. But uh, they should have been around 109, 110. So they overachieved by four or five points as well. So if we want to say that these two teams overachieved by about 10 to 11 points in the overtime setting, that brings them down instead of 231 to about 220. And if you just, and we'll, this again is, is very fuzzy math, but 11 points out of 231 is about 4.8%. So they overachieved by about 4.8% for the entire ball game. And if we shave the 19 points off and say, all right, so well, what's 4.8% of the in-regulation total of 212? That's still 10. It's 10 basically instead of 11 or 12. So it doesn't change all that much. And what that tells us is this game in regulation probably should have been closer to about 202. Maybe 203, 204 at the absolute highest. And series are slowing. So... Again, nothing is guaranteed. We do these analyses because we want to be on the right side of the ledger. The information we have before us suggests that if these two teams don't overachieve in turnovers, three-pointers, and foul shooting, which they basically did, and only the only underachieving out of all of the factors in Game 1 was Boston maybe could have shot a little bit better from the field, this game should have gone under the total by about six or seven points. Like, it shouldn't have even been that close, but the team scored a lot in the second and fourth quarters and overtime. Scored a ton in overtime. And that pushed it over the mark. But forget the overtime for a minute. Again, this this only went over by one possession, 
even though both teams were overachieving. So I like the under in game two for a number of reasons. Number one, I think the pace slows down. Number two, I think the pace of game one should have been an under anyway, but they hit a ton of shots, including a bunch of long-range shots in game one. Do we see more turnovers? I don't know. I wouldn't bank on that. And number three, Boston making a defensive adjustment in this game should keep Miami from hitting 47% of their shots and or 16 three-pointers. So not only do you see a pace slowing, but you might get sort of a double whammy on that where Boston says, look, we're going to slow you down and we're going to make your life more difficult. Boston got really good in the last round at getting back on defense and preventing transition buckets. I don't think they did that great of a job of that in game one. Maybe some of that was fatigue. Sidestep three-pointers were going in early in this ballgame. I like Boston. I like the under in game two tonight. I think I like the under more than I like Boston. Because if this series turns out to be a coin flip every single game, you, you want the team that's catching points. Even if it's not that many, eventually there's going to be a game decided by one or two points, it seems like. And so you're going to want to be the team that's that's getting those one or two points. I think maybe if you like Boston, which I do, you might throw an eyeball at the money line. Which, I know, it's going to cost you more than the, the 10% VIG that laying the two or two and a half points would cost you. But not by a ton more. Boston on the money line is minus 140. Heat, money line plus 120. Would you lay the extra 30 cents to not worry about the two and a half points? I might. I really might. I don't like money lines of over 130 in any respect, but it's close to being it's close to being in play. So leans to Boston, lean to the under. The lean to the under is actually relatively strong. I might I might make that play myself once we finish up this podcast. I'll I'll do a little bit more digging at that point, but it's uh, it's certainly on the table. And those lines, by the way, Boston by two and a half, uh, 209.5, and a half, the total brought to you by our buddies over at mybookie.ag. You bet you win, they pay. Mybookie.ag. I'm really excited, by the way. I found out that uh, like about a dozen of you guys or more took advantage of the, I think it was more actually, it was like a dozen new of you guys took advantage of that wild free odds boost wager that they were promoting last week. That was incredible. That was so much fun. I'm so glad we all got to do that together. Uh, We all made $45 and didn't have to do anything. That's awesome. I don't know what you guys do with $45. Eat out one night. Buy a video game. Buy a hoop ball product. (laughs) Wink, wink. Not, not. Buy a hoop ball product. Uh, But whatever it is, um, we did it, and it was sweet. I don't know when the next one of those is going to be coming out, but it doesn't matter because we're going to be winning NBA wagers, and if you want to get down on that stuff with us, then open up an account. Go to mybookie.ag and open up an account with promo code HOOPBALL. All one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Promo code again, HOOPBALL. And that unlocks a 100% deposit match bonus when you drop in your first account deposit. So whatever it is, put in 100 bucks, they'll give you $100 of free play. You put in 200, they'll give you 200. You put in uh, 45 bucks, which is the credit card minimum. They'll give you 45 bucks. And again, I've mentioned this before, there is rollover restrictions on that free play. But if you're planning on betting it for a while, which I am, I've been betting for 11 years. And then my bookie comes along and gives us $45 for free the other day. So I figured, why the hell not? <laughs> uh, also, and this, by the way, this something comes up a lot. 
even as I was talking to some of my my relatives and friends about my bookie, they were like, I don't know, man. Like I've I've done this online betting thing before, and it always ends up weird. That's the beauty of this modern environment. My bookie is on the level. They don't have to be weird anymore. Remember the days of Bodog 10 years ago when places had to get goofy? You had to send like three types of identification to get $20 out of your account. And if the site shut down, everything just vanished into the ether. That's just not the way it works anymore. FanDuel, like all these places are into sports betting now. Why not go to a place that actually has focused on this? They have great customer service. You can cash out for 50 bucks. And it sends you an e-check. It's super easy. Just takes a week or two to get to you. Like, it's all very simple, very straightforward. No shadiness anymore. I, again, I love the customer service. I love how easy it is to cash out. It's just a great site. Promo code again, HoopBall. Check them out immediately. Nothing happened in the NBA yesterday. There weren't any games. I'm really excited to talk about Lakers and Nuggets tomorrow. But we'll save that for tomorrow's podcast. A um, couple little nuggets that that dropped on the NBA front. Uh, mentioned earlier in the podcast when I w- we were talking about our Hoopball Kings show that the Kings are hiring uh, Monty Morris, who was the Rockets' assistant GM as their new head of basketball operations. Not the general manager. I, call, I, I gave him the wrong title earlier in the show. He is a more new age head of basketball ops when you compare him to, say, uh, Vladi Divac. And it seems like, and basically I'm going, I don't know a lot about Monty McNair, but I do know what King's Twitter is telling me. And the smart folks, namely the ones I'm following here, Jill and Damien, are saying that this is a really good hire. He's he's creative. He's made a lot of really interesting trades underneath uh, Daryl Morey. And this, uh, I think, should change things. It also begs the question of then, you know, does Luke Walton stick around? Coaches don't have a great track record of keeping their jobs when all of the people above them are getting replaced. But we shall see. Also, a couple of things that dropped yesterday. We had our all-NBA rosters uh, piece of information on the Lakers Nuggets series. None of these things are uh, game-changing stuff. But uh, quickly here, Gordon Hayward for the Celtics is listed as doubtful for the game tonight. I think his return will actually slow the basketball game. So if he comes back, I would lean even harder to the under, at least until he gets his legs underneath him. JaVale McGee, it sounds like, might be back in the starting lineup for the Lakers in their series against the Nuggets. No surprise there. Move Anthony Davis to power forward. Have him deal with Paul Millsap or Jeremy Grant for stretches. Defensively, they can then keep... uh, This is what I mentioned on yesterday's show. Defensively, they can keep one big man near the rim even if Jokic is taking, say, McGee out towards the perimeter. Uh, And then here are the all-NBA teams. We'll just give them to you on the podcast. I don't have any strong thoughts on this. Luka Doncic, LeBron James, AD, James Harden, and Giannis Antetokounmpo are the 2019-2020 all-NBA first team. Uh, Luka, the youngest all-NBA first teamer since Tim Duncan some 30-odd years ago at this point. Now, uh, Anadokounmpo, his second all uh, first-team All-NBA. Harden, his sixth. AD, his fourth. And LeBron, his 13th All-NBA first-team selection. It's the first time the Lakers, by the way, have had a duo on the first team 
for the first time anyone, I guess I should say, has had a duo on the first team since the Suns had Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire back in 2006-2007. Shout out, by the way, to Hoopball for getting me that statistic on the fly. The All-NBA second team, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, Dame Lillard, Chris Paul, and Pascal Siakam. Huh? <laughs> I could make a case for someone else to be your other forward on that All-NBA second team. Uh, Siakam edging out Jason Tatum. That is insane. Tatum already better than Pascal Siakam and probably going to pass him by more. Uh, that also probably won't happen again. Somehow, I don't good lobbying, I guess, on that one. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was the nearest miss. He had the most first-place votes of anyone not on the first team. Jokic was sort of the second uh, near-miss. Then Dame, um, his fourth second-team All-NBA. He's been the first team one time. And then uh, Chris Paul, his ninth All-NBA award uh, after a wonderful year. So uh, big, big-time kudos to Chris Paul for resurrecting his career after Houston tried to basically obliterate it. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's all we got right now with only one game a day, uh, unless news breaks. I don't know. This this is where we're at. It's where we're at. Enjoy the game. I know I will. Uh, ball game is in the evening, by the way. Uh, now that there's only one game a day, these games are going to be starting on the relatively late side. I believe this game is at 4 Pacific. All right, so I was off a little bit. Are they all at 4 Pacific now? No, that doesn't seem right. Looks like they've got Lakers Nuggets at 7 Pacific. Is that possible? 6 Pacific? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll talk about that one on tomorrow's show. Enjoy Miami-Boston tonight. Again, leans to Boston and a harder lean to the under. That's a possible play. Do it at mybookie.ag uh, with promo code HOOPBALL. Oh, get a lawnmower, too. That's the last thing we'll tell you. Get a lawnmower at manscaped.com. Promo code over there is HOOPBALL20. With that, I wish you a wonderful Thursday, everybody. Hit me up on Twitter if you need me. At Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We really want to add more people to our sports betting team over here at HoopBall. So shoot me a line if you're interested or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. So long, everybody. This has been a HoopBall presentation.